0: Right, so first of all, let me apologize because I seem to be picking up a bit of a cold. So if my voice sounds a little bit muffled or stuffy, it's because of that. Hopefully, I won't sniff through this whole thing. I actually gave thought to not doing a podcast this week, but I've got a pretty good streak going, and I want to see if I can keep them going um, without missing a day. So here we go. We're going to give it a shot. So again, my apologies if I sound a little funny, but for this one, what we're going to be talking about today is care sheets and why. Most people that are really into the hobby know what they're talking about, loathe them. And I commented on something, it was a podcast or a video about how care sheets are basically the devil and somebody responded basically asking, well, how do you know that? Why why are all care sheets the devil? I had somebody else say, well, how are we supposed to know what to look for? And that, that can be very tricky. Uh, the thing is for people who have been in the hobby for a while and done the research and have kept these species... It's very easy for us to pick out things that are wrong with the care sheets. The big one I tell people to look for is that somebody actually keeps the spider because I've alluded to this in another, I believe it was another podcast I did where we're talking about care sheets and such. And I alluded to the fact that anybody can grab something off the internet. I could go right online right now, look up a random spider cut and paste it, drop it on my website and look like a rock star as far as knowing how to take care of tarantulas. And sadly, that happens quite a bit. And I shared a bit about uh, somebody who had started up a site and I realized they basically cut and paste all of their stuff from other sites and all that was horribly wrong. We're talking about the type of stuff that could end up with a dead spider. So I always encourage folks to talk to people who actually keep them. That's why the Facebook groups can be fun. That's why arachnoboards and tarantula form, things of that nature, can be a great place to go because you can literally speak to people that hopefully aren't just lying through their teeth. There have been, I've been privy to a couple instances of people talking like they knew what they were talking about and come to find out they were only in the hobby a couple weeks or a month or so and really didn't know. But you can usually find and identify rather easily the people that know what they're talking about and get good information from them. And then when you find something online, I always encourage folks to go and cross-reference it with many other sources. One of the big things, and I've alluded to this in the past, I teach and one of the big things we're trying to get kids to do now in, in this day and age where everybody basically has a computer in their pocket. And all the information you'd ever need is at your fingertips. Like literally, if I want to look something up now, if I'm trying to figure out an actor, I pull up IMDb on my phone and I check out who the actor was and all the movies are in. It's so simple now. So now it becomes less about trying to memorize information And trying to find information, you can find all the information you want. It's weeding through the crap to find the good stuff, those good nuggets, the stuff that's reliable. And we always talk to our kids about Wikipedia, how anybody can go online and change them. And um, another teacher and I co-taught a class years ago, a history class, and we went through and added he and I to the list of people who wrote the Declaration of Independence. And one of the kids used that as a source and cut and pasted it. And there we are, you know, right in there, right in the Declaration of Independence. It was amazing. But – That's something that takes That's a skill And I think a lot of adults Unfortunately lack the skill And that's not a A slam on anybody It's We talk about You know Ignorance Ignorance is just not Knowing something Is not You know You haven't been taught yet And I think a lot of people Just they hop on their phones I've seen people do it They pull something up online Or you know If you're on Facebook And you get your news from Facebook I've had I can't tell you how many times Somebody will pull up an article And be like Oh my god Can you believe this And I look it up It takes like two seconds You get on Snopes And realize it's a fake article But people don't recognize that readily So it's an uphill battle for folks trying to get into this little you know, niche market of tarantulas to find good information. And what happens a lot of times is folks will buy, they, they get interested in a pet, and, and we can talk until we're blue in the face about everybody should be doing their research ahead of time. And again, I've, I always like to say there's you know the reality of what's going on. There's what we wish would happen on the surface, what what ideally would happen, and then there's the reality, and I like to work in the area of reality, and yeah, in a perfect world, everybody knows how to do proper research, everybody's, hey, you know what, I'm thinking about getting a tarantula, I'm going to spend a month doing all the research for it, that's great, but it doesn't happen often, sadly, I, I talk to a lot of folks, and I love hearing from people who are like, "Yep, yeah, it's been two months now, I've been doing all this research, I'm watching videos, I'm going through this and that, that's fantastic, but that's probably not the norm. So let's work with a more realistic picture here of a lot of people will be in a pet store, they will see this beautiful tarantula, like I've never seen one with blue on it before, I'm going to pick this thing up. They get it home, they do a little research, and like, uh-oh, this thing's apparently called a pokey and it's got a heck of a bite, but the guy at the pet store told me that I could hold it. And those are the situations that are happening more often. So what can we do about that? Well, what happens in is in this case is people start doing their research after the fact. So they're working quickly. Time, they feel like time's against them. They hop online and they're going to be inclined to grab the first piece of information they find. And usually with Google, when you pull something up, you you think that the first things that come up are going to be the ones that are most popular, that've been most Uh, fit most people's searches and you kind of hope they're going to be the legit stuff well that's not always the case so just for an example to illustrate how this kind of works and what you should be doing when doing this research I picked a random somebody just asked me about the cobalt blue the um, C lividus or C lividum it's supposed to be C lividus I believe but people have been calling it C lividum or they still call it H lividum Uh, I'm not going to get into that whole discussion. It's Everybody thinks it's going to go back to age, but right now it's C, and there's a whole story about what happened there. The cobalt blue. I will actually use a common name for this one so we don't get too caught up. I don't want the comments to blow up in a discussion over the scientific name. Somebody asked me about the cobalt blue, and I was kind of surprised. by the Their reply to me was like, I've been doing some information, and I basically read that people said this doesn't need to be kept moist, that they're very adaptive, and they can be kept dry. Now, I've... This is one of the species I wouldn't mess around too much with. It's it's an Asian arboreal. The general consensus is it's a fossorial species, meaning it's going to burrow. It needs moist substrate at all times. Um, I was speaking to a hobbyist who decided that, uh, unfortunately decided that the majority of tarantulas out there that we say need it really moist are very adaptable. And uh, this is a topic I'd like to get into at some point because I do think there is some Uh, that's true to a point with some species and i think as we keep these longer and longer and unfortunately some cases people just start you know or fortunately start kind of trying them out seeing what happens if we let it dry out how do they do do they molt well do they still eat whatever this isn't one of the species i'd be willing to play with that yet and this guy was keeping a couple um cobalt blues on dry substrate well he quickly lost one due to a molt now was that because it's dry I can't say that I have no idea it's it could be it might not be but it sure seems like one of the issues that is most commonly talked about with tarantulas that aren't kept moist enough that they have a difficult time molting we talk about the fact that it requires a lot of moisture and fluid for them to complete the process so it sounded like that could be it and then he went to keeping the other one moist and it's doing fine so Again, we can get into this topic later on. It is something I'm interested in and something I've commented on before about some of the species that are said to have to be kept moist, but they seem to do completely well dry. And the fact that there's a difference between something being ideal and something being just what they tolerate in the wild. But for the sake of argument, we're going to say the cobalts need the moist substrate. So what I did is I just put in H. lividum, H. lividus, I could put in all all three different names that the people are calling them right now to see what comes up as far as care sheets so we can kind of go through and pick apart what's good about this so the first one I have and I'm not going to give the website names I'm not not about bashing other websites and this isn't like I'm trying to warn people off of these so I don't want this to lose its focus the focus is more just recognizing how much misinformation is readily available out there and why it's so important for people to do research and, and more importantly, find people that they can trust to keep them to ask. So here we have the cobalt blue, which is still labeled as H. lividum. And it talks about the fact that it's beautiful, but aggressive. And again, I like to use the word defensive. They don't run out of their hides, you know, and try to attack you. They're defending themselves. I really, that word drives me absolutely nuts. And I will argue until I'm blue in a face that they're aggressive is something that's going to hunt you down. Um, defensive is something that's getting scared and fighting back. So you're encroaching upon their territory. They are going to try to strike you, not because they hate you and want to hunt you and they're evil, but because they're scared. There's a difference. So they talk about the color and the lighting of blue. Great. All sounds good. Range, tropical forests of Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Good. Looking good. Type, burrowing. Excellent. Full grown size, four to five inches. Sweet. Growth, fast speed. They do grow very, very quickly. Temperature. And here's our first alarm bell, 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Again, I think I've made it very clear over the years that I absolutely loathe these arbitrary ideal temperature ranges that people give them. And I think what happens is they look up, and and this is not necessarily bad, but they will look up the temperatures of the areas they're found in and just assume that's perfect for them. They will use their perfect temperatures. So right here somebody that just picked this, well let's just say they went to Petco or some local pet store because these guys tend to pop up quite a bit in pet stores. They're attractive, they're kept wrong, they look angry, they look blue, people are like, "Oh, these look great." And they bring them home. Right now somebody is reading this going, "Oh dear lord, it's only 75 in my room." Or it's only 70 in my room and panicking. And guess where that's going to lead to? That is going to lead to the person going out and either buying a heat mat or a heat lamp or I'm going to get an email going, "I think this thing's going to die because it's kept too cool." Or somebody else, uh, another YouTuber, another blogger, whatever, somebody's going to get contacted asking about how to keep these. Hopefully, that's if they don't just go right for the heat lamp. So right there, that's something that sticks out and would stick out most experienced keepers uh, minds when they're reading this, that we're telling these people they need to keep it 80 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. I keep, I I think I've kept 120 something species so far. I think I have, I I don't want to exaggerate, but over 100 species I'm keeping right now 200 and something animals. The temperature in my room right now is about 73, 74 degrees with the highest shelf maybe being 77. During the winter, it's usually, you know, 70 to 75. During the summer, it hits 80 on occasion, very rarely. Never. Is I think one time it hit 90 degrees and that's when I accidentally unplugged my heater and when I plugged it back in I didn't reset the temperature and it starts off at 98 degrees and we came down one morning to find it 95 degrees in there and it was horrifying but luckily no harm, no foul. Everybody was fine, but nobody keeps their tarantulas at 90 degrees. I mean, that's, that's just much too high, unless you're in a place where your house is naturally 90 degrees. And I've gotten emails about distressed tarantulas climbing up the sides of the enclosures because they cannot escape the heat like they can in the wild. And what I mean by that is we're talking about a burrowing species here. So, okay, the cobalt blue is on the surface and on the surface, it's 90 degrees where it is in Thailand, we'll say. That's great. However, they burrow. Once you get a foot or so under the ground, not even, it's much cooler down there. So that needs to be taken into consideration as my neighbor peels off with his large truck in the background. Sorry about that, guys. That needs to be taken into consideration that burrows, and we've talked about before, the big X factor and why we can't really look at these ideal temperatures or these, you know, say, all right, they live in 90 degrees. That's great because it's going to be cooler in the burrows. Next thing, humidity, 78 to 82%. I'm not sure why we didn't just round that up to 80%. That would have been easier. 78-82%. Somebody is going to read that and think, "Oh dear lord, I have a 4% range to work in." That is that is absolutely ridiculous and not true at all. People are going to read that and immediately think, "Oh dear, I have to keep this at exactly 78 to 82% humidity." So then they break out Their generic Petco hygrometer, they stick it to the side of the enclosure. Of course, the thing doesn't work in the first place, but it's showing only 50, and they're freaking out, and they're adding more water. Now they have a swamp. They have a spider that its den is all nasty and full of mold. and It's just so many things that can go wrong here. So right there is a place where you should look at as a new keeper and go, "Uh uh-oh, this is probably not something I want to listen to. This is probably not accurate. I will tell you right now, and I've made this very clear, I do not measure humidity in my individual enclosures I have a gauge that measures temperature and humidity in my room which gives me the overall temperature of the room and gives me a ballpark weather you know I usually try to keep the room right around 55 percent humidity on that I don't know what that really is in real life it's probably not particularly accurate but just know that there is some humidity in the air it's not completely dried out because as I've mentioned a million times in the winter when my furnace kicks on the air in this house gets incredibly dry like the type when you you can scratch your name into your skin it's so dry and we try to avoid that in the tarantula room so right there the 78 to 82 degrees it's way too specific it's made up it's it's arbitrary, it's not true, so we need to completely ignore that. But this is something that would cause people to possibly keep their tarantulas wrong. Or we talked about before when you you know going too far trying to keep these ideal temperatures and humidity. So right now, if you were to keep it like this, 90 degrees, 82% humidity, that is going to be an absolute swamp in that enclosure. That is not going to be a healthy tarantula enclosure. So right there, the first one we pull up has obvious signs that it's not particularly accurate. And there's some bad information. There are at least information that could lead somebody new to the hobby to overfixate on little details like temperature and humidity, which are not needed. So let's just pull up another one. Here is another care sheet for the cobalt blue tarantula, haplopelma, uh, haplopelma lividum. And this one starts off beautifully talking about where they're from, Burma and Thailand and who first described it. So this sounds pretty solid overall. One of the most aggressive, there we go with the aggressive, most beautiful and high-strung tarantula in the world, uh, females are bluer in color, males are brown, again, good info because a lot of people don't realize that if they get a male, they're not going to get those bright blues, the spider is described as one of the most bad-tempered, aggressive spiders in the hobby, it's known for its lightning speed, yes, they're fast, but again, I hate the term aggressive, so let's slide down and see... Um, Spiders are known uh, to be burrowers, so you must make sure you have a suitable material used for substrate. Substrate should be of peat or vermiculite mix. Um, again, that's a little specific for me. Peat, for, uh, peat would work. Uh, topsoil would work. Uh, Cocoa fiber would work. I like mixing vermiculite in with my stuff, so I agree with that. But again, not terrible. Should be at least three inches deep. Well, if you have an adult specimen and you don't want it to be quote-unquote aggressive, I would give it a bit more depth than that, but not terrible. Open water dish is a must. Perfect. Love the mention of the water dish. As is regular spraying of the tank with a plant mister. And no account should the humidity fall below 70%. So there we go. We got our first thing here that I would key in on. Again, we have an arbitrary humidity requirement. We have the old misting. I will tell you right now that when you are keeping tarantulas on deep substrate I don't care how much you missed all you're going to do is moisten the top level of that substrate which is not even what your target should be you want the bottom levels of the substrate to remain moist I just had somebody comment on a YouTube video that was shot from above where it looked as if my substrate was dry and they said your substrate is too dry and I had to Lightly inform them no it's not the bottom of it is moist I allow the top to dry up because it keeps the mold away it keeps the gnats away I've had an issue with gnats it's just that's you want them to be able to burrow and find the moisture level that they need so spraying the tank with a mister it's great for some things and like if you're trying to do like slings and stuff and squirt a little water on the side or some of my arboreals I'll moisten down the plants because they can drink from that or the size of the enclosure but as far as being a good way to keep the substrate in a burrowing species container moist no all you're going to do is get maybe and maybe let's really drench it you down you're going to get the top inch or so the best way is to get something you can kind of pour the water in aim for the sides of the enclosures let it percolate down between the plastic or glass and the substrate so it soaks down those lower levels and that way you can let the top dry out and the tarantula or scorpion whatever you have that needs humidity can dig down to the level it needs And so we have here for humidity, our list for humidity is 85%. Again, arbitrary. I don't even measure humidity in my Keelobrocky species. I don't measure my humidity for my cobalt blue. I just make sure that the bottom of the substrate is moist. That's all you need. But of course, it doesn't articulate that here. So again, a horrible care sheet? No, but one that could lead people astray and one that's going to lead people to go out and buy a plant sprayer, spray the snot out of this enclosure. They're going to be measuring their humidity with their Petco humidity gauge and it's going to drop after about five hours because all that water is just going to evaporate and they're going to freak out and spray it again and it just doesn't make for good tarantula keeping. So as you can see, it doesn't take much. These are like the first three or four that I pulled up and it doesn't take much to ferret out those little details that show whoever's writing is either it's old information or whoever's writing them might not even keep them so here's another one with the cobalt blue and this one actually has c lividum i believe again it's supposed to be lividus but uh we'll go with it care sheet cobalt blue tarantulas one of the most impressive tarantulas available in the pet trade well they're blue that's pretty but um talks about the coloration arguably first commonly available blue tarantula this is good it's well written it's nice it's a nice little picture of looks like a male maybe here has remained popular tarantula is impressively stocky in appearance and frequently frequently available i think the reason why it's so popular is they uh, basically import the snot out of the wild-caught adults you see a lot of those available i get a lot of emails from people who've picked up uh, grown adults and females so i think that's probably an issue we need to start breeding them so we can have little babies Cobalt blue wild environment. The cobalt blue has a relatively large home range through evidence suggests that population numbers may be struggling due to habitat loss. That's obviously a good one. It talks about the range. So far, it's looking great. Cobalt blue caging. All right, I have my first issue. Um, There's a picture of a cobalt blue in a tank and what it's on looks like big giant wood chips. That is not the appropriate substrate for well for a tarantula period or especially for a burrowing tarantula that is going to keep that you're going to have one peed off tarantula at all times so right there the picture I don't care if they just pulled a stock photo off something you can't talk about the caging and show it completely cage on the wrong type of substrate that's just ridiculous and it even mentions here that they're not overly active which is good because I think people don't realize if they keep these correctly they're never going to see them and they will spend most of their time hiding in their burrows so this one says a decent size cage is likely to be beneficial. Um, that's good. I agree in giving them a bit larger cages. Uh, they talk about a good depth of, a depth of substrate four to six inches or more if you could. Hey, great stuff flat-out mentions the exoterra are not particularly appropriate for burrowing species and I love that because that seems to be the go-to for new hobbyists to get an adult tarantula like I just got a cobalt blue I can't wait to sit up I picked up a big you know 12 by 12 by 12 inch exoterra and then I gotta go well really because of the way those are built with the, the vent in the front and there's only like two inches for the substrate dam they're not appropriate enclosures unless you really get jiggy with it and start like arranging stuff around and I've seen some some people make some pretty cool enclosures with it but it's difficult what usually happens is they drop in about two inches of substrate a coconut or uh, you know cork hide and then drop their spider in the spider's not happy and i'm getting emails asking why it's all angry and nasty so and then we get to my favorite and this is where the okay here we go this the wah 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 heating never should you worry about heating for the most part for most people I would say 90% of you out there, the majority, I know some people and I, I hear from people in Scotland and Ireland and some people in um, England that say their homes get, there's a certain period where the homes get a little bit chilly and not like around here in New England, it sounds like where it gets like flat out freezing, but the homes get pretty cold and that they, only certain rooms are heated. I don't know. I get a lot of, maybe somebody can explain it to me, but I get a lot of people that contact like, yeah, it's actually 50 degrees in my room right now. So that would be too low. And in that case, you would actually have to worry about maybe some type of supplemental heat. And we'll get into that someday because there's a way to do it where it's safer. But to just throw right out there in a general all-purpose care sheet, a a topic, heating specifically for tarantulas that's problematic. Most of us would agree and heating doesn't become an issue. And it says right here that a temperature right around 25 Celsius seems to work well for the C. libitum, though a small drop at night is perfectly acceptable, which is good because that's true then it goes into talking about how you need a heat pad so this is a right off the bat jumping to the conclusion that whoever's going to be keeping this spider does not have adequate adequately high temperatures in their home and that's ridiculous it should be for the most part, they can be kept at room temperature. That's it. If it's you know this species could it would it do better it would it do well at eighty degrees sure it'd do fine at eighty degrees but I can tell you right now they do well at seventy degrees I've had no issues and mine grew very very quickly I got it very early on before I was heating my whole tarantula room there was there was actually a bunch of like movies and transformers and stuff in that room and I just had a couple shelves for tarantulas. And at that point, it wasn't heated, so it dropped down to 68. It still grew very quickly. It ate like a beast and put on size very quickly. So it didn't seem to impact it at all. So right here, when you look at a care sheet, and the care sheet immediately jumps to telling you how to treat your tarantula. And I don't care if it says heat mat. Now, heat mat is the safer way to do it. This is the safest way to do it. And there is a way to use heat mats to make sure that you're getting just a little bit of heat and that you're not going to hurt the spider. But it shouldn't be like that shouldn't be the first thing you go to you got to figure out what your house is at first if you have a room where it's 70 degrees you're fine don't worry about it so this would be something right here that would make me kind of pause and hesitate and go maybe this information isn't the right stuff but I will say to this website's credit they do say that all heaters used for exotic pets should be attached to a thermostat no matter how mild the heat being produced that's that's a really good call and I would say that if you're going to use a heat mat for your tarantulas that's an important consideration don't just buy a heat mat and stick it to the side of the enclosure you need to be ready to put it on a thermostat so it doesn't overheat it and then we talk about water and humidity so again care should be taken to spray the substrate but not the spider itself the use of a hygrometer is strongly recommended in order to monitor humidity <sighs> No, no hygrometer. You don't need them. Ignore the humidity in your enclosures. Work more with moist or damp substrate. That's how you control the humidity in your pet's enclosure. It doesn't matter what the air is outside of the enclosure, what the humidity is there for a burrowing species because they're not going to be out there very often. They're going to be in their moist burrows. So again, no hygrometer. This is bad information. I don't agree with it. Um, for folks that are using them, I, that's fine. I just, I'm telling you, you, you're, I, I, really feel like they're a waste of time and money. I use them when I first got in the hobby, full disclosure, just so anybody thinks I'm not, you know, I'm not judging here. I used to pick a couple of the Petco ones up and put them in like my Sturmy enclosure. I had them in, um, I don't think I had one in my Cobalt's enclosure. I think I had one in my Phylogis Crassby's enclosure. I, I've actually pulled them all out. I don't use them. The substrate's moisture in good shape. And then it said, You should monitor the humidity, which should aim for 80 to 90%. 90% humidity, congratulations, you're growing mushrooms and mold and all kinds of nasty stuff. You really don't need the humidity inside the enclosure to be 90%. And if you have humidity inside your enclosure that is kept at 90%, the ventilation probably isn't what it needs to be. It's important for all enclosures to have good ventilation. None of these talk about this, drives me nuts. You should have moist substrate, good ventilation. You control how moist it is in the substrate by adding water using a bottle or something you can pour water in. That's it. So there we go. Right off the bat, we just looked at one species. We pulled up three care sheets that were on the first page of a Google search. This is what people realistically are going to be finding. I don't even know if my stuff comes up. Actually, let me just, for giggles, let's see if my stuff will come up. So let's just type this in here. And well, if you put H HLivitum, Mine do not come up, but the first one that comes up is Mike's basic tarantula, which I, I don't know if I've shouted this guy out before, and he's somebody I really want to interview because it was very important when I got into the hobby. Is it, those That green page became my go-to for a lot of species because this is a man that you can tell keeps these things, and I've heard him – I've been on boards where some people have picked little things apart, but this guy's raised a lot of different tarantulas. He, has, he writes it up beautifully. He tells about where they come from, the the climates there, just exemplary care sheets as far as I'm concerned if you're going to look for care sheets, and put some great notes in. But this was the first one that comes up. It looks good to me. I mean, that's fine. Apparently, Tom's Big Spiders isn't up there, but I think when I did mine on it, I did it under Levitus. So let's go ahead and see if Levitus comes up just for gig. So now we're going to try C Levitis or C Levitum, put that in, see what comes up. And well, Mike's comes up for us. So good. That's a good one to go to. So hopefully most people go with that. Unfortunately, it's not as flashy as some other sites and, and that's something that should be addressed as well. Mike's site, when you pull it up, I, I love Mike's site. And I'm just so used to it, but I remember like the green background was like, woof, and. But the information is top-notch. You look at some of these other sites, they've got pretty little pictures. Mike doesn't include pictures, and it just looks very professional and well done. So unfortunately, some people are going to probably pull up Mike's, and if they don't realize that he's kept probably every species known to man and knows what he's doing, they're going to ignore that for one of the prettier ones. And that's the sad fact I've had. you know, I I know even looking at my own site, I've tried to include pictures with everything because I know people will kind of judge it sometimes on how much – aesthetic flair there is on the site, which is wrong, but you want something that's visually attractive. So they might just ignore this to go to some of these other sites, which would not be correct. And then if you scroll down, it looks like we got, uh, Ragnabors, we got, which is a good place to go to, cause you're going to people actively discussing how they keep theirs. And then here's mine. See cobalt blue husbandry on YouTube, which some people who aren't looking for videos might ignore. So right there, just looking for this one, We've had mixed results in what we pulled up, and the majority of what we pulled up on the first page does not contain good information. So I'm hoping that this exercise wasn't completely boring and a waste of time, but I hope it helps show folks what it looks like to do your research. You have to look for these key things, and some things I would tell people to look for. Right off the bat, if they mention putting a sponge in the bowl get the heck off that page. It's ridiculous. I've I've seen a couple of those. If they start talking about, you need to keep um, temps like in the eighties or nineties, or God forbid, one of them comes right out and says, this is how you heat your tarantula. Please move on. This is probably not a person that has kept tarantulas very often or knows what they're doing. And I think it's always important to try to figure out if the person writing the care page or the husbandry notes that you're looking at has actually kept them before. It's Like I said before, it's very easy. I could go up right now and just start a website on how to keep parakeets, and I could pull a bunch of information off of other people's pages, tweak it, change the wording a little bit, and throw it up there, and who the heck's going to know? If it makes it to the top of the Google search, people are going to be looking at Tom's Big Parakeets as their go-to for information. So it's very important to recognize that. And this goes, I think it should be mentioned... This goes for YouTube videos as well. There are a lot of people doing some amazing YouTube videos out there. I belong to a group that's basically a Facebook group for YouTube uh, arachnid channels. I believe it's open now to snakes and tarantulas and scorpions. There's some great people. But please keep in mind that just because somebody puts together a YouTube channel, does not mean they know what the heck they're talking about. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular when I'm saying this, but I do know there are people that do YouTube channels for educational purposes and they are trying to show people how to keep them. I know my main motivation for going to YouTube from my blog was because teaching wise, it was easier to get my information out there where I could sometimes demonstrate it. So for example, I could write a 3000 word article on how to rehouse. But seeing me do it is so much more powerful, I think, and it's much more useful to the new hobbyist who's like, how does this work? How do you cop them? I don't understand. They can see it in action. That said, there are people out there that just want to post up. It's kind of like a journal for them to show their friends and stuff. When I first, uh, the first couple of things I post up on YouTube were just kind of fun stuff. So I totally get that. It was kind of things I was showing my wife or kids at school and whatnot. So it's important to, before you immediately pull up a video, And assume, oh, this person's on YouTube, so they must know what they're doing. Check out their channel. Find out what, what what are they doing this for? Are they doing it to instruct? Or are they just showing how they're keeping things? I know I ran into one a couple years back where somebody was instructing people how to set up a certain species. Well, one of the things they did during the video was they filled the water bowls. They had a bunch of slings. They filled the water bowls with sponges. Right off the bat, that person unfortunately doesn't know what they're doing. And sadly, people are going to go out, see this. They talked with authority. They sounded really good. It was, the person was intelligent and it sounded like they knew what they were doing. But people are going to see that and emulate it and that's not quite it so this extends from just internet articles and care sheets but into if you're using youtube videos for your main source just make sure you you know watch a few from somebody see if they look like they look at the comments sometimes you can find stuff from the comments Um, make sure that the person you're emulating knows what they're doing because again i think a lot of people get into this hobby And it's the nature of the beast that you want to talk to people about it. And guess what? Most people don't want to talk to you about giant spiders. Most people are terrified of giant spiders. So you kind of have a limited audience. It's not like if you get a new dog and everybody's like, oh, show me pictures of your puppy. It's so cute. I want one of those. I had a puppy that did this once. It's not the same. You come home, and go, yeah, hey, this weekend, I had a great weekend. I picked up a um, M. Balfori. It's a spider. They want to get the heck away from you as fast as possible. And I, I totally understand that. So what happens is people want an outlet to kind of share, have other people share their enthusiasm. this is a great way to kind of, you put up a YouTube channel, you have people going, oh, I love this species. Some people do it and they put it up there and they open it up and say, hey, if anybody's kept these, can you help me out? That's fantastic. And that's a great outlet for people. But it's important to differentiate when you're watching these videos. Is it somebody that's just sharing their experiences like they would a, you know, a journal and not necessarily saying they know exactly what they're doing? Or is it somebody that has some serious experience and is trying to teach. That's an important differentiation to make. So be careful when out there looking for information. If you can talk to people, talk to them. That's the best way to get info is just go out and send out an email. If you have something you have a question at and you find somebody that looks like they know what they're doing, shoot them out an email, see what they say or, or comment on their video or comment on their Instagram. Apparently you can email or you can message people on Instagram. I can't figure out where the heck the uh, messages are. So if somebody wants to chime in, help me out on that one. I have somebody that wants me to respond to their messages and I haven't been able to find them apparently, which is embarrassing. But I will say when I signed up for Instagram, I heard all my kids at school talking about it. And I thought all you did was just throw up pictures and people like put a heart on it or something and say they like it. And apparently there's more to it. It's another social thing where you can chit chat and everything. Whoops. Didn't realize that. So I'm learning, I'm learning. So if you sent me messages and I haven't responded, I'm not being rude. It's just, I forget to even look for messages on that. I just kind of throw stuff up for fun. But anyway, I digress when looking for information, make sure you do your due diligence, compare don't just take one person's word for it if you watch one good youtube video that's fantastic find more good youtube videos compare see what they're saying and again there's more than one way to skin a cat i actually hate that expression not sure why i said it but there's more than one way to do this at times and keep things and neither way even though they might be totally different is necessarily incorrect However, there are some things that are pretty much locked in in this hobby as far as being the correct way to do things. You want to make sure you pay attention to those. And a lot of this will come with experience. So that'll about do it for this one. I'm glad I made it all the way through without sneezing because my nose has been stuffed up and I've been trying not to sneeze this entire time. So I'm glad I made it through. Um, summer's coming, so I'll be able to heal up quickly. And, and the goal is as a couple of people have asked if I ever plan on doing interviews and I thought I made it, I thought I mentioned this earlier, but the plan is definitely to interview people, believe me. But unfortunately the way my schedule is right now when I'm working, that is not really viable, a viable option for me because trying to coordinate my schedule with somebody else's schedule who might not even be on the same coast as me or might not even be in the same country as me is just too difficult to work out right now with all the stuff I've got going on. So unfortunately Right now, you're just going to have to listen to me, but I'm starting my vacation or my summer break in about a month, and at that point, I will be lining up a bunch of interviews to basically stockpile moving ahead so that I will be able to start putting in some interviews because this is not supposed to be just me sitting here talking. As I mentioned in the beginning, my whole goal for this is it would be a better outlet for interviews, which can be a pain in the butt when I'm doing just the podcast or the blog because I usually do it text-based or I have to transfer if I talk to somebody in person I have to transfer it to text this would be a nice outlet for it and I have some people lined up that I can't wait to talk to some will just be fun ones some will be experts some will hopefully be teaching me about some stuff that I don't know about so that is definitely in the cards moving ahead again with this podcast it's still something I'm growing I will say a huge absolutely enormous thank you to anybody that's following all of these I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate it and as though it sounds corny it means a lot that these are actually doing well because I again mentioned that I thought about doing the podcast for quite some time and when I say I can't stand the sound of my own voice I'm not joking I do not like listening to myself talk and unfortunately I have to go back and listen to these when I edit them and make sure that everything's okay and I it dry, it kind of blows my mind the fact that people seem to enjoy them and and some have even said that this is their favorite out of the stuff I do which is great and I think that's reflected in the fact that I'm picking up Listeners each and every week Which really does drive me to Continue doing these so I think there's the general consensus from some people is they're afraid I'm just going to stop and not do them anymore I honestly don't see that happening that I'd be more inclined right now to stop doing the videos not that I'm stopping videos don't panic but the amount of time these take I just get a nice quiet Saturday morning Billy usually goes out shopping the kids are all upstairs and I get some time to do these and it's just very easy and relaxing I don't have to worry about the editing or the sound or anything like that although I have to start practicing not whistling my S's it's getting very difficult but I, I, again, really checking the stats on this, and I do because I want to make sure there was something that I had an audience for. it. If nobody was listening to these, I'm not going to kill myself doing them, but it's building, it's growing, and I'm watching my average number for each episode grow each and every week, which has been fantastic. So thank you all that take the time to comment on Facebook on them, or that have sent me emails and kind messages, and I've had a couple people, again, like almost seemed worried that I was going to stop doing them there. I'm doing them for the long haul and this summer I'm going to bank up a bunch of them. So we will be covered. And again, I even did one sick today. So I kept my streak alive. I know when I started doing them, I had a couple of people give me good advice saying that people that listen to podcasts, want a podcast every single day. want consistency. And consistency has been something I've struggled with with my videos and my blogs because I get too busy. But I'm keeping it up with these. So thanks again, guys. Again, if you want to respond to this, I will be posting it up on Facebook probably Sunday morning so you can respond to that. You can always send me an email. Again, I encourage people to check out my YouTube channel, and then of course there is Tom's Big Spiders, the blog, which I will be doing some exciting things with this summer. And I have a new article coming out that I'm really excited about. It's taking me a little while to do um, about brown boxing that we'll be getting into, and I will be doing a blog to go—I mean a podcast to go along with that as well. So just some things moving ahead, I'm going to try to use the website more to consolidate everything I'm doing. So people can go to one spot once a month and see everything I've done for that month. So anyway, thanks again for listening until next time. I'm going to go blow my nose because I'm pretty sure I have something trickling down my face and it's nasty. So thanks so much.